The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. All right, we're back in the book of Philippians this morning. I know it's been an interesting week for a lot of us, but sometimes you just need normal in your life. So I just wanted to keep it moving with Philippians. I thought about doing a couple different things on this, but it just was what God had on my heart for this morning. And so um, I felt like even in the midst of this, sometimes the best remedy for things is just to to keep on trucking. So that's what we're going to do this morning. The book of Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Um, We're going to finish up a section that Paul, I told you Paul kind of puts this inclusio, this parenthetical from verses uh, chapter 1, verse 27, all the way through chapter 2, verse 18. So we're going to finish that up um, here this morning. So um, Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Hear the words of the apostle Paul here. Uh, in the book of Philippians, he's, he's made a big turn in chapter, in verse 12 there. We talked about that last week. And then here, the words of the uh, Apostle Paul by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in verse 14 here. He says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ... I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Then in verse 17, this, these are some of this, uh, Paul, these are very personal words by Paul, very moving. It was moving this week when I read this. He says in verse 17, he says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Hear the selflessness in that? I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This section of scripture this morning, it is the end of the larger chunk. I've been telling you from verse uh, chapter 1, verse 27, I believe I see is the thesis of the entire book. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The challenge that we have been dealing with, that I've been unfolding for weeks now, the challenge is loyalty to the content and movement of the gospel. If you recall, last week I told you that this bigger section in here is read as one large argument by the Apostle Paul from verse 27 of chapter 1 all the way through 18 of chapter 2. The way that I see it and the way I've been preaching through it is that it's one large argument by the Apostle Paul. Paul has given you the mission in chapter 1 verse 27, loyalty to the content and movement of the gospel, lives worthy of the gospel. And then Paul gives us the keys to effectiveness in this challenge. We talked about the effectiveness of this challenge. It comes directly from humility and unity. And then Paul has given you the means by which to fulfill this mission, Jesus Christ and his work. We've talked a lot over the prior weeks about Christ's Trinitarian work, the Trinitarian of work of salvation, how the Trinity functions in that. I've been telling you that Jesus is more than the model in the Bible. He's not less than the model, but he's more than the model in the sense that he empowers you to live this truth out. The content in the gospel content and movement of the gospel by way of unity and humility is attainable. It's an attainable goal for the Christian. And Jesus is not only the pattern, but he's the means by which
that you do that. He's the strength. You're united with him in the faith. It's an imperative. All of this is an imperative. And so today, as I did with last Sunday, we'll see this idea of humility lived out. How do you live out humility with obedience? Last Sunday, we talked about how Paul made this final turn to exhortation here, this large box of, blocks of, block of scripture. And in verse 12, it's as Paul is finally saying, in light of all these things that I've been telling you, in light of all of this behind you, this is the way you should live. This is how you should act. In verses 12 and 13 last week, you'll remember Paul gave us this sweet truth here that you live out your salvation with obedience. That scripture in verses 12 and 13, it's not talking about how you get saved. It's talking about how do you live your faith out? How do you, ha- how do you actually live this out? And so we, t- we dealt with this big idea, this big, big challenge in the Bible, divine sovereignty and human responsibility. What do we do with all of that? So I tried to give you some truths on that. That's a big thing. But the most important thing that you'll remember from last week with human responsibility and divine sovereignty is the sequence matters. God works so that you can work. That's the major truth from God, from the sovereignty of God, the sequence, sovereignty of God, human responsibility. And so this morning, Paul closes out this larger, uh, larger section here with an exhortation about obedience. And so the title of the sermon this morning is Joyful Obedience. This is the call of the Christian life, joyful obedience. If you love God, plainly, if you love God, you'll run after him. That's the truth. If you love God, you'll run after him and you'll gladly run after him and you'll happily want to do what he unfolds in scripture. That's as plain as I can put it. So one scholar, a professor that taught me, a gentleman that's really taught me so much about the Bible, his name's Jim Hamilton. He says this, this, is a, this guy's alive. <laughs> we talk about a lot of uh, uh, deceased folks, but this gentleman's alive. He says this, this is really good. He says, if you love God, you'll have a consuming desire to please him consuming desire to please him in a commitment to obey him and in a and you'll live in constant this is so important you'll live in a constant preoccupation of mind heart and imagination with his wonders if you love God consuming desire and joyful obedience so let's walk right through this text this morning we're just going to walk right through the entire thing this morning look at verse 14 and 15 again Paul says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Paul is effectively, if you've been tracking through this book with me, Paul has been effectively been beating the drum of unity. It's been an important drum that he beats over and over and over and over all throughout this letter. He deals with unity. Unity is part of how to be effective at the content and movement of the gospel. This morning, he approaches, he, interestingly, he approaches unity. He approaches this idea of unity through, some, through, uh, through uh, grumbling and disputing. <laughs> and so he's effectively telling us this morning that you live, a Christian life, you live this life of contrast, you live this life of contrast as you avoid petty grumbling and disputing in order to be light in the world. That's how you do it. So in order to follow the ways of God, you avoid grumbling and disputing and that creates a contrast in the world. I'm gonna talk to you about that a little bit. You should know this, living in the world today, you should know that if you don't dispute or grumble, you're living in some pretty serious contrast to the world. So there's nothing new, really there's nothing new by the time uh, the New Testament comes to us and this letter's written 50, 60 years after Jesus died. There's really nothing new under the sun in terms of how to avoid this. And so what I mean by this is that I wondered 
as I read this this week, did Paul have the Israelites in mind? You remember the Israelites? You remember these folks from the Old Testament, the Israelites? You recall the Israelites, these people, the Israelites are these people in the Old Testament. When you read it, you think these are the silliest people to ever live. These are the silliest people to ever live. You remember the narrative of Exodus. This is what I thought about this week. You remember the narrative of Exodus? This is, you, when you, don't even try to be self-righteous. When you read this, you go, I'd never act like that. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And so you remember the Exodus narrative? I thought about this this week. This narrative, it tells us of the Israelites and their grumbling. It's like the most grumbling people on earth right in chapter 15 in chapter 15 in verses 22 and 23 of exodus it gives us this i mean this isn't all the the indictment against the israelites was thick if you read about the israelites it just goes on and on and on but this is one section of it uh this listen to the pattern here it's three times right in the right in three chapters here in exodus 15 uh 22 and 23 if you read this narrative here these people they lack pure water they're in the desert. They're looking around. They're like, hey, they're in the wilderness. They're like, we don't have pure water. We don't have any pure water. So you'll remember that Moses, what he did, they, they started grumbling. The, t- the scripture tells us they started grumbling against Moses. They're like, hey, we don't have pure water. And Moses does what any good man does. I feel like Moses, God help me. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? And so what happens is that God tells him, he's like, it's basically, I think he tells him to put this log in the water. You'll see there, he, he gives him a log. He says he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log and he threw the water threw it in the water this is uh verse 25 here he threw it in the water and the water became sweet and so that's the first one they grumble and then god provides to him and then when you get to chapter 16 i mean right after this right after 15 right into 16 it tells us that the whole congregation of people of israel they grumbled against moses and aaron in the wilderness they were hungry you remember this? They're hungry. So they get the sweetened water. And then right, literally right in the next chapter, they grum- it's, the text tells us they grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness and they lacked food. And they said, hey, Moses, you brought us out here in this mess. We're hungry. What are we going to do? And Moses does the same thing happens again. And the Bible tells us, scripture tells us that he sends them manna. He sends them bread and quail. You remember this? And so God provides in spades for them. This is the second time. And then you get right on over to verse chapter 17. And they do the same thing again. So I'm wondering if Paul has this in mind when he does it. And so they're complaining there again. They do it again. They, they go to camp. They look around and they realize there's no water. They realize there's no water. And then the Bible tells us again, it says the people quarreled with Moses. Poor Moses, man. I mean, good grief. They looked at him and said, why did you bring us out to Egypt? This is what they said. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us? Why did you do this? We're going to die, man. This is what they're saying in all this. And so after all they've complained about, two times God provided for them. God provides in spades again. He provides for them again in all of this. And so you read this account. I'm reading the Exodus this week. I'm thinking about the Apostle Paul. And I'm wondering, is this in the back of his mind when he wrote this? Because this is the same language he's using. And if you, you read this sometimes and you think the Israelites were ridiculous the way they treated Moses, Right? It's kind of how you read this. You go, what what would they do this to poor Moses? I mean, Moses was great. What are they doing around that? And I just want to say that I've done it before. Your your self-righteousness kind of kicks in, right? And you're thinking, man, I'd never, I'm telling you, I'd never do that. The little Pharisee inside of you comes out, right? And you're thinking, man, I'd never treat Moses that way. I'd never do that to poor Moses, man. These people, these Israelites, man, they couldn't get it together. They couldn't get it together for anything. God was so good to them. And so what I'm trying to get you to see here is that we're all naturally, whether you want to admit it or not, we're all naturally bent this way, like the Israelites. We just are. 
I love you, but it's the truth. We're all bent that way. I'm just trying to get you to see here that we're all naturally bent that way. And so the Israelites, your sanctification, your growth in godliness, what Paul is saying in this is that your sanctification and your growth in godliness is prohibited by grumbling and disputing. It's prohibited by that. The Israelites were prohibited. You see the grumbling and disputing between the Israelites and Moses. It wasn't about Moses. It was about God. Right? It wasn't about Moses. It was about God. And so I would argue that the Israelites, they lacked joyful obedience. They were doing it. They wasn't doing it with a smile on their face. (laughs) I mean, three chapters of Exodus, it was like, come on, man. And so uh, it's a shallow Christian life. We don't, we're created for more than this. I believe, based on the Apostle Paul's telling us here, Jesus Christ and all these things, God's people are chosen to live out light in this world. You're a chosen people. This people in Exodus, they acted like everybody else. The people in Exodus, they acted like every, for everything else. God, they had forgotten that God had chosen them. He had sent them out to be light in this world. They'd forgotten it. They had forgotten it. We forget it too. And so they didn't have joyful obedience. They didn't, they didn't live anything in contrast. That's what Paul's telling you here, the contrast. He's trying to create a contrast. That's why he gives you light and darkness here. He says, doing things without grumbling and disputing in order to shine shine as light in a world of darkness. Paul is asking the people, he's asking these people, he's asking us through these people here to be happy and to be godly and holy and to have joyful obedience in order to create a contrast in this world. These are contrasting voices, uh, verses. He He sets joyful obedience over, this is so important for you to grab. He sets joyful obedience over and against grumbling and disputing in in order to show us how we should live. In order to show us how we should live. Unity with joyful obedience. It creates a contrast in your generation, right? Think about the world you live in. Think about how much unity and grumbling there is right now. I've never in my life, honestly, I've never in my life experienced so much dissent. I mean, the dissent is everywhere. You know what I'm talking about? The world you live in, we're in a dissenting culture. We really are. You can, get, you can hardly get two people in a room together that don't dissent. I mean, seriously, they don't disagree about something. It's almost in your face revolt against unity nowadays. I'm grieved, to be honest with you, I'm grieved over the lack of tact and consideration in the world anymore. I'm grieved over. I'm grieved over it. I'm, it it's, it's taken, it's exacerbated by the numbers, by a lot of things that get my blood pressure up on it. But I want you to realize, I want you to take away from this morning, do you realize how radical joyful obedience is? Nobody obeys with joy anymore in the world. I mean, the Bible's so relevant to stay. Do you realize how radical it is to stand up with a bunch of people and say, you know what, we're not all the same. We don't have the same preferences, but by the grace of God Almighty, I stand with that brother and sister for the sake of the gospel, for the content and movement of the gospel. Do you know how radical that is nowadays? Do you know how beautiful that is in the world? Do you realize how powerful it is in a world to live that today? How beautiful and moving it is for a diverse group of people with all sorts of backgrounds, various levels of brokenness from success, from failure, from young, from old, from different cultural backgrounds, 
different socioeconomic situations to stand in unity for a cause, for a mission, or a purpose. Do you realize how powerful that is? It's so powerful because it's light and darkness, because it creates this contrast in this world that's supernatural in the eyes of a crooked and twisted generation. It's supernatural. The Israelites were just being like everybody else. They were just being like everybody else. They lacked a joyful obedience. They lacked the light. The contrast is the light. It's the light. Do you understand that from Jesus Christ? The church is created for contrast in order to live out light in this world, not wander around in a desert and complain. It's, it's an embarrassment to the glory of God. He's patient. He's been patient with me. I'm not trying to beat you up over this. I live in this sometimes too. He's so patient. He's so patient, but it's it's, it's embarrassment to his glory. When When we pursue joyful obedience and unity, we stand and say, I stand under the direction of a king that reigns forever. I bow at his feet. I trust his mercy. I'm overwhelmed by his grace. I've stepped away from a life of individualism and I'm following a broken Jewish carpenter that gave his life for many in order that I might be reconciled to God and follow him. I'll do it with joy. I'll do it with happiness. I'll do it with unity. I'll do it with peace. I'll do it without grumbling or complaining. This is joyful obedience. I'll do it with a smile on my face. I'll do it with a pep in my step. I'll do it. I'll do it with a glad hearted disposition. This is joyful obedience. This is light in the world. This is shining. My friends, hear me. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, joyful obedience is radical. It's radical in this world. Don't be an Israelite. Let's get a little bit closer to home. (laughs) Don't don't be a self-righteous prude that thinks that you can't fall into a lack of joyful obedience. I told you last week, Christian discernment, you gotta sober up. Sometimes you gotta sober up. Let me be honest. I'm just gonna be real. I see a lack of joyful obedience and I fall in this category at times and so many Christians particularly those that serve the most in church. I think this is a trap for the workhorses of the local church. Hear what I'm telling you this morning. This is a, I'm just trying to be helpful to you. This is a real and present danger for you. I told you these sermons, they wear me out during the week. <laughs> you only get it for 30 minutes. I get it for seven days. But anyway, this is, this seriously, it's a very real and pressing danger for you if you serve in the church. You have to fight for joyful obedience. You realize that? You have to fight for it. You gotta fight against the Israelite di- disposition. You have to fight against it. The pettiness, the, the, the pettiness that comes with all this sort of stuff, the, the complaining, you can get here quick. And here's, here's the dirty secret. It's so unbecoming to people outside the faith. The contrast. The contrast. You created for contrast. Then in verse 16, look at what Paul does in Philippians 16 here. In verse 16, he says this. He says, hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. In this verse, Paul is still pressing into joyful obedience, but he's concerned about effectiveness in the growth of God's people. He's concerned about effectiveness. He's concerned about effectiveness internally within the church, 
We want to be effective internally here. He's also concerned about effectiveness externally, which meaning effectiveness in your sanctification. He wants you to be effective in your growth and godliness as a church, and he wants you to be effective in the world outside of here. I've told you this before. The Bible is concerned about in here and outside of here, both and, both and, all the time, everywhere in Scripture, this internally and externally. And so we should be concerned about effectiveness internally, in this church, and we should be concerned about effectiveness externally, meaning effectiveness at sanctification, growth in individuals, holiness, and effectiveness as light. If you really look at this text this morning, it's both and going on. He's speaking about sanctification in here so that you might be light out there. It's contrast, creating contrast for you. Internal and external relationships. Paul is so concerned about this. I've told you maybe, I don't know, a couple hundred times up here by now. The way that I see this book is the content and movement of the gospel. We're concerned about what the gospel is. We're concerned about the content of it, but we're also concerned about the movement of it. We want to be effective at both of these things, both and. And so we don't limp. We don't hang around. We don't run or labor in vain as a Christian. We don't. This is all in Paul. We don't labor in vain, but it takes joyful obedience. I promise that if you don't have unity and humility, if you don't live in joyful obedience, you'll run in vain. And it'll be miserable. It really will be. You, you, you have to fight for this sort of stuff. You'll do it. You might do things. You might make some headway, but you'll fall into grumbling and pettiness. This is the pattern of scriptures. Remember, internal growth in the church, unity and humility, uh, joyful obedience, all of these things are done for two reasons. Why are we doing all this stuff, Britt? Why do we care about the content and movement of the gospel? It's for the glory of God, number one. And then number two, it's in order that we may live more Christ-like. Internal, external. Internal, external. Paul wants these two things so badly for this congregation. I want these so badly for Grace on the Ashley. Are you laboring in vain? Are you running in vain? Are you being effective at the call to be light and the call to grow in personal holiness? It requires joyful obedience. I absolutely love knowing and serving God. I love it. I love it. This is why I do what I do. I love it. It's joy. It's joy for me to report to the king and be a part of his kingdom work. Joyful obedience. And then look at the final part here. We're going to walk through these closing verses here. I told you these are, very, these are very personal words by Paul. If anybody ever told you Paul was not an emotional man, they're not reading. They're not reading his letters. Listen to this. Listen to these personal words here. He's writing to this church whom he loved. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Do you hear the, do you hear the selflessness in that? I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Rejoice is the word for joy there. In the final verses, these strong statements by Paul, they made me emotional when I read them this week in some ways. We've been talking about the life... We've been talking about for weeks now about humility and how humility runs all through this book here. The keys to being effective at the mission is unity and humility. What a beautiful statement by Paul that's rich in humility. He's saying that if I'm poured out as a sacrificial offering for your faith, I'm rejoicing that. I have joy in that. And you should as well. Joy comes, I've been saying this over and over, joy comes from being other-focused. 
It comes from being others-focused. And this was a man that stood, Paul stood squarely on the idea of humility. And he's saying, I pour myself out for this church. No matter what comes, life or death, remember, he's on the brink here. No matter what comes, life or death, he rejoices because their faith, their humility, their unity, their obedience, their desire to live for God's glory, their sanctification, their loyalty to the content of the movement of the gospel, it's been enhanced. This is unbelievable. It's unbelievable how selfless this man was. He lived an other-focused life. He lived a life that was the inverse of individualism. This is the pattern for us. It's the pattern for us. The personal nature of these final words here are so moving to me. It's a man that's on the brink of death. He, he was, he was, the impending martyrdom was upon him. He was on the brink of likely being beheaded for the gospel. Do you realize the faith has been delivered to you on the backs of martyrdom? We don't have a clean faith. It's messy. He's on the brink of martyrdom here. He's on the brink of losing his life. This is a man, he's writing his eulogy in some ways. This is epitaph. It's such a personal statement. It's such a beautiful statement of selflessness. All he wants in the middle of this personal statement is that to see the Philippians' life be part of the participation of the gospel. Paul's work here has been a sacrificial offering for this church's faith, of service to this church's faith. How beautiful is that? He's saying that life or death, my life or death, has been for your faith, for your participation in the gospel. Paul's life and even the approaching death has all been for these people's faith so that at this writing he can see that they participate in the gospel. Think about how powerful that is. Think about how moving that is. The two greatest men to ever walk this earth, Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul, they gave their life that we might come to be in faith and live for the sake of the gospel. And there's nothing in it for them. The humility in it. How personal, how moving, how selfless, how motivational. God, forgive us. I read these words and I say, God, forgive me for weakness, the selfishness, the individualism, the lack of joyful obedience. Have you given yourself to the mission, to the loyalty and the content of the movement of the gospel? Have you given yourself over to unity and humility, a life inverse to individualism? Have you reflected upon the Trinitarian work of salvation and how Jesus is more than the model for humility? He's more than the model. He's actually the source or empowerment for your life. Do you take seriously your union with Christ and how he empowers you to live in unity and humility for the sake of the content and movement of the gospel? Are you living out joy? Joyful obedience? Are you running? Are you running in vain with pettiness and grumbling and disdain? Are you laboring in vain in this life? Give yourself to the one, the one that the chosen one, the Christ, the great redeemer of our soul, the one who reigns forever and ever, the man God whom concealed his divinity and came not for his own glory. He didn't come for his glory, he came for the Father's glory by way of the Holy Spirit, the God man Jesus Christ. All of this, all of this for joyful obedience, for humility and unity. God, give us joyful obedience. God, give us joyful obedience in the sight of the ministry of Apostle Paul through Jesus Christ by way of the Holy Spirit for the content and movement of the gospel. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Father, I'm thankful to you 
for your kindness to us in scripture. I'm thankful that you give us the pattern, the ultimate pattern of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that you empower him, that, that he empowers us the way he empowered the apostle Paul, Father. So I pray that you forgiveness of our, forgive us of our weakness and give us strength to pursue a joyful obedience. We have to fight for this, Father. We fight for this in community with people under the scriptures, under the authority of the Bible, with other brothers and sisters who are, who are broken just like we are, Father. And so I pray that you impart this to us. I pray that you impart this to us all for the sake of the gospel, the content and the movement of the gospel amongst this community, amongst this city, amongst the nations. In Christ's name, amen.